What a song. Jesus at the center of it all. Be careful what you sing. Be careful what you declare. But then be careful if you're too careful. Because you're accountable for your words. You're accountable for your declarations. But the accountability is essentially there even if you decide to say, well, then I just won't sing it, so I'm not accountable. You're accountable. And Jesus is at the center of it all, even if by your yes, you won't let him be at the center of your all. And um, But how he sure desires it. He sure desires it. So let's pray this morning. And I'm going to just ask the Lord to do what he's going to do. Father, I love you. Oh, God, we praise and we worship you. Thank you for the sweet time in worship this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I hardly have words to express my gratitude and my love and um, increase that gratitude and that love. Because you are worthy of it being poured out. Fill me this morning, Lord Jesus, by your spirit, Holy Spirit, fill me to overflow that you would be honored and glorified and worshipped through whatever you have for this morning. I praise you, God. We praise you with music. We praise you with the message. We praise you with our fellowship, with our thoughts. God, may every aspect of our life be a praise and a worship to you, almighty God, who is our God. May the very breath in our lungs pour out our praise because it is your breath in our lungs. Thank you, God. Thank you that you are worthy. Thank you for what an awesome God you are, how faithful you are, that we can worship you without reservation and know that it is just yours. Everything is yours, God. I just, I'm just speechless when you give me these glimpses of who you are. I ask that you would fill my mouth, Lord, with only your words. God, you are, you are doing something right now so significant, so high, so beyond our ability to fathom. But you give us little moments of, of revelation, of instruction, sometimes even words of brace yourself because of what is about to unfold before us. And God, we do, as we sang earlier, as the deer pants after water, God, we hunger and we thirst for you. Oh God, increase that thirst. You said you'd bless it. Blessed are those who do hunger and thirst for righteousness, for your kingdom, for they will be filled. They will be satisfied. Thank you that you have promised that. So, God, I just pray that you would do your will this morning. Take these words and just pierce our hearts in all the ways that we need it. For every listener from today forward, of these words, Holy Spirit, let it be as fresh in a year as it is right at this moment. If you are breathing on it, it is timeless. 
And I thank you, God, and I praise you for who you are and what you're doing and what you will do in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. I want to look at a scripture first, and I'll, um, I'll mention Greg probably a couple times throughout the message. Um, let's go to Luke 18, verse 8. Just want to put together a couple of thoughts. I got to tell you, I knew Greg was leaving for Nigeria soon and that I would be preaching. And he gave me a single word that he... He does that with me. He'll, he'll release a word that is, is highlighted actually in, you know, when I'm in the word of God, all of a sudden one of the words I'm reading or that I'm listening to in the audio Bible will just land on me like this megaphone. And he released a word and, and I knew right then it was a word to release, but I didn't think in a, I just did not think at all that it would be today. And then at the beginning of worship, the Lord started to show me that there was a real reason. I can't fully understand it. He didn't really explain a whole lot. This whole morning for me is a complete faith step. But he did show me that he needs to release this word now. Because the beginning of 2022, the the shift that has begun is going to become more and more known. And... You know, the Lord's been extending a hand and he's really been asking the question in Luke 18, verse 8, that um, go ahead and go to it in the ESV, if you would. And many of us know this verse. It is Jesus speaking. And he said, I tell you. He will give justice to them speedily. This is, of course, talking about the persistence and the um, constant, uh, the, the woman, the, the widow that constantly went to the judge, and he's comparing it with the fact that the Lord will give the justice. He will do it. Surely if, if a human man who doesn't even believe is, is going to be willing to go ahead and just say, fine, fine, if you're going to keep coming to me, I'll, I'll give you what you need. I'll give you the justice. If he's an unrighteous judge and is willing to do that, how much more will God do it? So he will give it speedily. But it's the second half of verse 8 that I want to highlight. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? That verse has been ringing over and over in my mind. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Isn't it interesting? And and if you begin to look at the Word of God through the lens of what he's really looking for, which is relationship with Jesus by faith, because uh, God is a spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And until we see him face to face one day, we we have to, by faith, faith is what accesses that kingdom reality. And it's interesting that this verse doesn't say, will he find years of Sunday school teaching on the earth? Will he find good works and humanitarian efforts all over the world, giving rice and chickens to the hungry? Will he find counseling on the earth? Will he find kindness? Will he find joy on the earth. Those are all things he'll produce. Those are all things he'll do from the one thing he asks us for from us. And that is faith. Will he find faith on the earth? So 
the scripture that is where I got the single word, which I'll tell you in a second, um, that he gave me comes from, um, Luke 15 or 14. So let's go to Luke 14 back a couple pages. If you're in a actual, not technology Bible, (laughs) I just love the feel and the smell and the touch of a real Bible and the pages. I guess you can, you could, there's one of these, I guess there's an an app feature or something that's available where you can turn, you can hear the pages. You have the page turning. That's so cool. It's just, that's just not quite there for me. I just, I need it like to be real, but you know, they, they do the best they can when you're using your phone. If you love the page turning sound, then you can get it, I guess, from the phone. I didn't even know that was a thing. I thought that was, that's pretty cool. But I got my big old, uh, that's why my book bag weighs 50 pounds <laughs> every week at church. I have 27 Bibles and all the different translations just so that they're available. And you know, people that, that are, go from the old school into the relevant di- or the Times of today, they're kind of like, you know, you could get all that in one little device. I know. All right. Well, we're going to read this um, this parable. But the beginning, I want to just highlight that Jesus went in the beginning of, of chapter 14. It says, one Sabbath, he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees. And they were watching him carefully. So this sets the stage for why Jesus said what he said at this particular time. He went to dine in the house of the ruler, a ruler of the Pharisees. Okay, so you could even say a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was dining with this Pharisee. And as you know, the Pharisees were pretty, you know, kind of, there was a lot of uh, tension when he was with them. But yet he was asked to dine. And so they were watching him. They were very perplexed drawn to him, but yet not getting it, not getting it. Oh man, there's just so much to unpack in that. We don't even have time for. But he he shared a couple of things. He shared the parable of the wedding feast and, uh, and of course challenged them right out of the gate because verse two goes right into, there was a man who had dropsy and Jesus responded right away, knowing the atmosphere he was in and knowing the reaction from other healings. He said in verse three, at the end of verse three, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? And of course they remained silent and he dealt with that. But then this is the point I wanted to mention here tonight or today. Verse 12, let's go to verse 12. So after he addressed the healing, after he addressed the fact that he saw that, that their placement at the tables and they're all their political, um, who's more important stuff, you know, he wanted to speak to that. He basically wanted to speak into the atmosphere of, of kingdom that goes against the way that they thought. Their, their importance and their standards and their boxes and their limitations of the way that life is here in this shadow of a reality. He wanted to just, he, I just love Jesus' ministry. He just was constantly speaking kingdom. It's like, okay, you know. What, what should I do here? Or what, you know, this is what we do. He spoke kingdom. He responded. We talked about that at the gifts meeting last week that, that when he, uh, you know, was asked questions and, and he's sitting here teaching and a guy comes up to him and says, well, teacher, make, make my brother give me half the inheritance, you know, from my parents. And he's just like, who made me a ruler over, over you to do that? It's like, but after all of his kingdom talk, the guy just, it was still not getting it. He's like, you seem like you kind of got it all together. Why don't you help me with this dispute? You know, we're trying to divide an inheritance here. I mean, like, I need some money, you know, like, can can you settle this dispute? 
And Jesus was like, oh, man, these, you guys are just stuck in what you think is important. Well, here's a moment in Scripture where a man speaks up and wants to sound spiritual. He's thinking, okay, this guy's kind of on a plane that's a little higher than some of the stuff we're into, especially by now because he had already spoken into a couple other things. So it says in verse 12, excuse me, in, actually in verse 15, he's, uh, when one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, okay, because he's already giving him, he's already giving them challenges, challenging their thinking. He said to him, blessed is everyone who will eat the bread in the kingdom of God. Okay, so I'm just going to go ahead and insert something that, you know, I know about. And it was interesting how Jesus immediately in, again, a teachable moment of a parable, just perceived so clearly, I know you're, I know you're basically saying, oh, won't it be awesome with all that we're going to experience in heaven? And Jesus looked right at him. I just, I could just see it in, in my mind when the Lord was first showing me this. I know you think you know what you're talking about, but let me give you something else to think about. And then he goes into, there was a man. <laughs> I love his, there was a man answers. So it's verse 16. But he said to him, the man that asked this, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. First said to him, I have bought a field. And I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, sir, what you have commanded has been done and there is still room. And the master said to, uh, and there's still, and the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Go back to verse 18 really quickly, and I'll tell you what the Lord highlighted. But they all alike began to make excuses. When I heard the word excuses, I heard a megaphone volume of on that word. It was like excuses. Excuses. This is what I deal with. Now, we're in an interesting time of choice being made, choices still yet to be made. It's, it's a very interesting time that we're in. There's this line in the sand that we've been talking about for some time. There are um, people that are beginning to show, and um, both in a glorious, wonderful way, that their choice is that I just want Jesus more than anything else. Um, nothing else matters. You know, nothing in this world will do. We're just saying that. There are choices people are making who are living that statement. They're living that. 
And then there are some choices being made that are essentially a, I can go this far, but I can't quite cross through the next door over that threshold because that's just more than I understand, more than I can grasp. And it's interesting, these people having the excuses that in and of themselves weren't bad. It was just um, the reaction of, I'm doing life here. I don't, I don't have time for what you've invited me into. And I just think that this is, um, this is an interesting time of, of the Lord in his readying of the bride showing, showing me this parable. And, and I have to say, again, at the beginning of the worship, I felt like the Lord was saying, you know, I thought it was going to be in a couple of weeks. And I was like, Lord, did you, did you want, because his hand is all over Greg's sickness. It's, um, it definitely is. Um, I shared this and even Greg did. He posted it that, um, he knows for a fact that the Lord is doing something here and that the Lord has asked him to only pray for endurance. Um, there is a plan in this. There is, um, there is, I believe, catastrophic, uh, crushing blow that will come to the enemy, um, because of what this is purchasing, because this is not just a, this is, you know, when you say, when somebody says, I'm not feeling well, there's kind of a broad spectrum of what that means. You know, you can be not feeling well and function quite well, but really not feel well. And then you can not feel well on the far other end where you are laying out just completely racked in pain and just feeling like if, if you can form words to say, help me, Jesus, that's all you got. Well, that's where Greg is. And, um, and yet he knows the help is help me to endure, help me to endure because this is going to crush. It's going to crush the enemy and it's going to produce something good. God often gets his glory in ways that we do not understand. And I, I don't want to derail from, because it's all connected, but I want you to understand, you know, we are not just in this life to pursue relief of the things that bring us discomfort. We are not just in this life to pursue things that we deem and define as good or fulfilling or um, that we would enjoy. We are to, Psalm 37, 4, delight ourselves first in the Lord, and then he will give us the desires of our heart. Be careful again how we, how we see that. He will actually give us not what we desire to be fulfilled. He'll give us what the desire is. See, when we delight in him, we actually find out what we actually desire. Um, we are like little children sometimes that you put a plate of food in front of them for the first time and they're like, well, I don't like it. Well, have you ever tasted it? Well, no, I, I know, but I don't like it. I know I don't like it, but you don't know that you don't like it. You've never tasted it. You might really like, yeah, but I don't, you know, it, isn't it interesting that the resistance to things that that we've not experienced yet. And the Lord is trying to say, you need to, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in thee. That's a, a beautiful verse. Taste of my goodness. Taste of who I am. Taste of what I offer in relationship and in fellowship. And you're going to find very quickly that the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. One of the lines from Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. There is something he 
wants to do that's transformative. And I will tell you, when you only pursue the relief of something or the desire for the fulfillment of something, do a check. I said this to the ladies downstairs. Do a check, man. I mean, do like a check. Lord, what are my desires? Are my desires your desires for me? Because you cannot afford to be derailed by a desire that is not even a desire that the Lord wants you to have. He wants to transform what you desire. Because when he fulfills what he wants for you as your maker, as your creator, the fulfillment will be unlike anything you could ever get in a momentary high from the fulfillment of something you desire. Because there is. There is. Sin does have its pleasure for a season. But the end thereof are the ways of death and destruction. God wants us to do it. There's another song um, called Defender that has a line in it. So much better your way. It really is so much better. And I want to encourage you that as we enter into challenging times, just like those who have either been through or are in illness, God does Romans 8, 28, our lives. He works all things together for good. And it gets to be very controversial and very sticky to ever say that, um, that illness is allowed by the Lord because obviously, you know, God hates illness. He hates sickness. He hates sin, but God will use it. He uses it. And I know that he probably hated to see that the very thing he told Paul and Silas to do, going and preaching and teaching and, and converting people, but then it resulting in their horrific beating because of the enemy sending in a girl who sounded like she was following them, but, but the Lord revealed quickly that Paul, to Paul, that she was demon possessed, that in that moment of deliverance, the, the backlash and the beating and the imprisonment that they received, little did any of them know that God orchestrated that and that painful experience to do what? To bring his glory with an amazing breakout of prison, an amazing testimony of rejoicing and praising him in the midst of pain. How God gets his glory is amazing. I, I haven't done the deep dive yet, but the Lord did instruct me to just begin to pay attention in scripture to how he gets his glory. When Lazarus was dying and people were saying, man, you could have, if you'd have only been here, if you'd only been here, he would have been healed. That's true. But God knew, no, I'm letting it go all the way because I'm getting the glory. I'm getting the glory from this. We've got to surrender to God's ways and we got to know what he's saying. And right now, I, I see this parable as an answer to the question when the, when the person said, when the man said, let's look at that again. In verse 15, the, the one who reclined with him. Okay, he's hearing these things. What these things? What are the these things? He's hearing the other kingdom lessons, the kingdom mindset that was released already. And he's saying, blessed is everyone who will eat the bread in the kingdom of God. I don't know this person. We don't know anything about this person. But we know what Jesus was trying to distinguish between what you think you understand and what's a reality. When a banquet is offered, when the Lord is extending a hand to come and be ready, and you say you're too busy or there is any excuse of anything that is getting in the way of you being radical and sold out. It ends, the answer ends in, I tell you, verse 24, I tell you that none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. 
Those are scary. That's a scary, heavy thing. In John chapter 3, we know John 3.16, of course, for God so loved the world, okay, that he gave his only begotten son, right? His, this is one of the most beautiful verses in Scripture, and let's go ahead and go there, John 3, um, verse 16, because we're going to go beyond verse 16. But that any, if any should perish, or that, that if any um, don't believe on him, they'll, let me just get it, uh, believes in him should not perish but have eternal or everlasting, I memorized in the King James, life. For God, verse 17, did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Okay? The condemnation is already, verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned. We believe in him, we're not condemned, but whoever doesn't believe is already condemned because sin is in the world. Because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this, verse 19 of chapter 3 of John, is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And people loved darkness rather than light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. You know, fear of exposure is oftentimes an excuse. I don't want to go to that banquet. I, I can't, I don't really want to be exposed. I don't want to, I don't want to deal with, Lord, I'm too afraid to deal with certain things in my life. I'm too afraid to let you in because of the exposure that it will bring. And the Lord is, is wanting to identify in our lives in, in his glorious coming in terms of um, coming to the earth by his, the power of his spirit. And I'm not speaking of the rapture. The rapture is when we're ready. I'm talking about this falling of the Holy Spirit coming in power to work through his people. He wants a readiness. He wants in his love for us, in his desire to be close to us, in his desire to have an increase of communication with us so that we'll enjoy and Delight even more in him. He wants there to be no excuses in the vessel, nothing that will hinder him so that he can not just do more works through us, but literally draw us closer to him. You know, there's, it's an interesting thing when you start to have fellowship with the Lord, when you start to, to hear him and you, you, you begin to, um, Open yourself up and it comes through surrender. We talked, we kind of unpacked it this morning with the ladies and there were so many great points made. There is a readiness. There is a will, will I come and find, find my people awake? Will I find them ready? There's a lot of things the Lord Jesus spoke about in his ministry regarding that. And when, when you awaken to his voice and when you learn to hear him and you have this conversation and it, it's just, there's nowhere to go but wanting more of it. You just don't, you just want more of it. It's, a, it's an intimacy that, that yearns for more because it, you begin to realize, like, when I have conversations with the Lord sometimes, I, I'm the one that limits everything that he's wanting to say. And, and so it's like, Lord, wow, okay, you're blowing my mind. I just, I need to take a breath sometimes. This is, this is so amazing, even if it's just simply who he is. It's like, wow. And then, then 
you know, the enemy's competing voices come in and try to derail and, and I'll just be like, Lord, I just need you to speak your love over me again. You know, I need to, I'm, I'm always asking him, Lord, help me to, to learn how to, how to move in this shadow that is my existence right now, but it isn't my reality. And please make this distinction. Your experiences are not necessarily your reality. You will have things in this world. You will have tribulation, John says. But be of good cheer because I've overcome the world. So you're going to have these experiences that are difficult. But the reality that we're to live in is one of only joy, of only peace, of only love. Because we have, he has overcome the world. And so if we don't get that lens, we're going to be one of these people that makes excuses. That literally says, yeah, but you know what? I just, I just got married. You know, like, I mean, you know, I can't, I can't be a, a spinster here. I, I mean, I, you know, I mean, it's getting time, man. I need to be married. You know, whatever it is, whether it be that you fall in love with somebody or that you just feel like time is passing. There are a lot of pressures in this realm of this is the way that it should be. This is what you do at this age. This is what you do at this age. This is when you start having children, when you stop having children. This is when you start working. This is when you retire. This is when you do the, and we get so, we have so many agreements with this human realm norms that it, it begins to, to weigh us down. And we don't even know sometimes that we're agreeing with them. We don't even realize who said those things are the way they're supposed to be. Who says you have to retire at 65? Who says? If the Lord starts your ministry at 80, he will equip you where he calls you. Thank the Lord for Moses. I love that. I love that. Don't, don't be, don't be in agreement with things that are not of the kingdom. Be careful even what your desires are because see, that's what he's trying to do. That's what the mind of Christ is about is trying to get us to think outside of what the enemy tells us are limits. That, that this is okay or this is normal or well, when you get to be my age, you know, and, and all of a sudden we're making these declarations, not realizing the power of life and death is in the tongue. We've got to be declaring what God is doing, what God is saying, what God's purposes are for us. That is an amazing place to be. And when we don't, we will find legitimate excuses. I find it interesting that these people, they were not balking and mocking and saying, well, I don't want to go to that party. It wasn't even about that. They were just, please excuse me. These are the things going on in my life. It would be wonderful to go, but please excuse me. You know, people do that all day long. And I thought this subject was very odd because I was like, Lord, okay, but so many people have made their choice. Is this like out of place? Like, why did you put this on my heart? Why, why did... I mean, hasn't this, isn't this like something that's been done? Maybe, is, is it, is it irrelevant? Is it moot? You know? And he didn't give me an answer for that, except that he showed me so clearly that it needs to be released right now and not in two weeks. That's all I can tell you. It just needs to be released right now. And I know that even for the remnant, you know, because I thought, well, Lord, what about the whole, let's encourage, let's encourage the remnant. Let's encourage the remnant who've endured, who have chosen, who have sought you. And what, what about, where's the encouragement? And it was, it was wild when he showed me the encouragement is understand I am a righteous, just, fair God. And that everything you will see in the manifest of people's choices is because they 
have made their choice. But they had an excuse as to the choice that they made. If they don't choose me, and if they do not choose what I have for them, it is their choice. Because, see, if we're not careful, we will be wrestling and wrestling and wrestling before God over someone who has free will, who can choose, but if they do not, we're then the temptation because of our love for this person is, God, why didn't you X, Y, Z? And he's like, I did every single thing that I could do without literally erasing their free will. I will give free will. I will have true relationship with people. I will not make them robots. He has given each of us and everyone on the earth. He will give them the opportunity. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But it does require repentance. It does require repentance and surrender to be ready. You cannot be ready on your own. And these were some of the excuses that the Lord gave me. And again, don't shoot the messenger. Okay. This is a, um, this is a radical book. You ever noticed that? You ever read? It's just, it's just radical. It's like really single eyed. You know, you can't serve God and mammon. You can't serve God and money. I mean, like I, but, but I, I do pretty well. I, I love you, Lord, but I, you know, but I just really love my job. And I know that, you know, when it, when it takes me out of the body of believers for six months out of every year, because I'm doing X, Y, Z, you know, I know that you understand that and your grace is wonderful. And I, you know, some of the things we just kind of like to turn the page on when the Lord is like, yeah, no, I kind of don't want most of you. I want it all. I made it all. And I gave it all to pay for your all. I will have nothing less than your all. He is worthy. But see, when you get to know him, you find out that he doesn't, he doesn't take. He's not a sadistic God. Whatever he takes, it's like the mother that just loves her child. And, and the child is, is going over to this this maybe maybe it's even a nice little uh, a face plate on a on an outlet that's decorative and jeweled and gorgeous and the child's going over and they're like I want to play with it and they happen to have a metal knife in their hand oh that's neat let me fit it in that hole and the mother's like no 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 oh no honey you don't want that you don't oh no no you don't and the child may be thinking how could you deny me this I I'm drawn to this I want this I this will fulfill my desire my curiosity and the mother's like no 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 don't do that. So often the Lord is just, he's just so desperately going, no, 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 don't, don't do that. You think that will be excitement and there will be a momentary excitement. (laughs) Trust me, the electricity will electrify you straight out to your death. And, and, and so we've got to understand that God is good. But what happens is we get this, this myopic view of, of that example. And we only see, yeah, but I want, I can't have. I want God denies, therefore he is not giving, you know, and, and we forget that there, that the entire context, see, when you get kingdomized, when you get a kingdom reality, you get context and context will show, you know, God is so good. Oh man, the things that he's ripped from my life that were just gut wrenching, like weeping on my face before Lord, things that broke me, things that I was so sad about things that I just thought, Lord, how could this happen to me? I now thank him for. And I still cry because I'm like, Lord, how is it possible? How is it possible that I'm thanking you for the thing that I thought was you being mean and, and pulling back a blessing? And he's like, I've only poured out my blessing on you 
because I wanted the things out of your life so that I could just give you all of my plans for you. But when you're holding on to, when your hands are encumbered, your arms are encumbered with all of the stuff that you desire, there is no more room to say, okay, Lord, what do you have? For your arms to be open wide to receive the next gift he wants to give, you can't have your hands full of the gifts that you want. It's got to, it just works that way. So these are the excuses. One of them is fear of the unknown. Yeah, but I just don't know. I just don't know. And I find that one so interesting. We don't like what we don't know because we need to know. Um, It's all started with Eve. She just couldn't settle. Couldn't settle on that level of beauty. Really? Really? The whole Garden of Eden and, but that one tree, that one tree to not touch and the, the enemy saying, yeah, but you know, there's stuff you don't know. I mean, this could do this. This could do this. How come you don't know about that? You ought to, you ought to pursue that. And, uh, she entertained those thoughts and we are to cast down imaginations and proud arguments. Second Corinthians 10, four and five, man, live by it, live by it that come against the knowledge of God. We need to stay in what he wants us to know. Do not go pursuing things not led of the Holy Spirit of God. It is a dangerous road. And yet in those same, because another one is, is the concern. They won't call it a fear, but it's, it is a fear. It's a fear of deception. I don't want to be deceived. That's, you know, so I'm, I'm not, and these are the, these are the excuses for why there isn't faith on the earth, why there isn't the responding to this banquet of relationship. Like these people had no idea who said no to this man offering them this at the banquet. They had no idea what they missed out on. And he's like, you know, you missed out and you won't even taste of it. And I believe he was telling this, this gentleman at the party or at the, the dinner with the ruler of the Pharisee, I believe he was telling him that if you think your experience in heaven is going to be the same as everybody else's, it isn't. It isn't. The rewards are real. And proximity to Jesus is real. And Greg's already unpacked that in sermons, and you uh, you can talk to me afterwards if you want to unpack that. But that is a reality, that these are not just some big old honking jewels that we in one little ceremony get to lay at his feet. The rewards are an eternity of reward that make our experience different based on how willing we are to just say, Lord, I just want you. I only want you. I want you, Jesus. This fear of the deceived and the fear of the unknown kind of always, I find it sadly humorous because of how much I know that the bride widely accepts and and touts and declares Ephesians 3.20. If you, you gotta hang out in Ephesians and know the amazing, amazing, all spiritual blessings that are available to us in the, in the body of Christ. It's just, it's an amazing book. But Ephesians 3.20 is now to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond what we could ever think or ask. Now, if you, if you look at that in the Amplified, and would you pull that up in the Amplified for me? Uh, Amplified Classic, Ephesians 3.20, because, um, it expounds a little bit. When you believe, when you believe, you have, you can't possibly pursue a God that is the God of the exceeding beyond if you also at the same time have to grasp it in your mind and know in your mind. So 
if to him who by in consequence of the action of his power that is at work within us, because this is, this is the culmination of the amazing, you know, the length and breadth and depth and height of his love, because you got to read earlier on in three to, to kind of come to this. But he is able now to him. Okay, so this is like the description of God to him. Oh, almighty God, who by in consequence of the action of his power that is at work within us is able to carry out his purpose and do super abundantly, super abundantly, far over. I mean, like how many more adjectives and adverbs like and above all that we dare ask or think infinitely beyond our highest prayers, desires, thoughts, hopes. You cannot serve a God and be in relationship with a God like that and have to be in the know all the time. You cannot serve a God like that and have to and and need to be um, in charge of whether or not you'll be deceived. There is a surrender and there is a a faith that tells you that when you ask your father for the Holy Spirit, he will give it. We, we know the, the verses that Jesus said. He said, you know, if you ask your human father for bread, will he give you a stone? If you ask him for an egg, will he give you a scorpion? It's like how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit when you ask him? Deception is not, the, the fear of deception is not a valid excuse. And when I say that, it's like, I'm not going to believe for the crazy because I don't want to be deceived. If that is your excuse for why Jesus, the son of man, will come and not find your faith on the earth, shame on you. Because this tells me there's, it's impossible, it's impossible to protect yourself from these. You can surrender yourself. You can submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee. You can do that. But you cannot put your own parameters on deception. He will keep you from being deceived. I love, love, love the verses in first, uh, Second Timothy 1.12. For I know, I know whom I have believed. See, he will honor our heart. I know whom I have believed. That, and and I am, I'm confident that he is able to keep that faith, that belief in him. Okay, to keep that um, and, and make sure that I am not deceived. He, he is, he is going to be our protector. And if we try to protect ourselves, we're kidding ourselves. I just find that to be an, a, an excuse because I, I gotta tell you, that was one of mine. I will not believe for the super abundantly extraordinary out there stuff that you do, God, because it might not be you. Now, believe me, please do not misunderstand me. I am not talking about reckless, chasing everything that's supernatural down the pike. I'm talking about a deep surrender, a deep desire to the God of the universe of whom there is no other God through Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by him. That is who I'm talking about. So there are a lot of rabbits. There are a lot of uh, spiritual things that people chase, and it's very dangerous but you also have to get to the point where, God, I just believe you. I just believe you. It doesn't matter how crazy the road gets. I believe you for what you say and what you do. Because if everything always sounds reasonable to you, it doesn't mean that there's an aspect of it that's not God, but it is absolutely not the entirety of God. 
because there are no limits on him. And when we put limits on him, we are putting ourselves and our own boxes on him. And that will be an excuse that will keep us from ever tasting of his banquet. So, so important. Another a couple of excuses, life's responsibilities. Those are the ones that are just in the parable. Like, you know, literally, I got some cows. I got to check them out. What, right now? Really? You know, like, you know, it's interesting how we, we kind of say, yeah, but Lord, I, I I'm, you know, I, I, I love you, but you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm doing life here. Like I got, I got stuff. I got stuff I'm doing. The thing that becomes offensively radical is that the only reason any of your stuff should be done is if the Lord directs you there. Now, see, I know, I know I've heard from pastors, you know, and it kind of, there are pastors that think everybody should be in full-time Christian ministry and you shouldn't do anything else and ever have a secular job. That's foolishness. That's a twisting of scripture. But I'm telling you what, everyone ought to be in full-time Christian ministry in the job God puts them in. Go into the place, go into the highways and the byways and live and move and have your being in Christ. Take the job, take the, the education, take the pathway for the people that you meet led by the Holy Spirit of God. That's why we're in the mess that we're in because preachers have twisted these verses to say, well, Christian, you know, you've got to be in full-time Christian ministry. You know, if you're not a missionary, a pastor, or a Sunday school teacher, then you're just not walking with God, like not as radically as we are. That's foolishness. God wants you to be in your job as a radical believer. He wants you to know that whatsoever your hand findeth to do, do it with all your might in the spirit, not with eye service as men pleasers, but unto God. Every menial task is unto the Lord. Man, if more people saw that, that even digging ditches was something that you could rejoice in and praise God and do with all your might, empowered by the Holy Spirit, there'd be more salvations in the most unorthodox places. There'd be more salvations out there than the person that just gets through their work week and, okay, oh, yeah, that's right, I got to do the Christian thing. Okay, I'll invite Joe to, you know, I'll invite Sue, I'll invite, you know, Jane to church. Can you want to come to church with me? You know, uh, no, I saw you this week. You don't seem like you're really into God, you know, so thanks. I'll pass. You know, I grew up Presbyterian and it was boring. So I'm going to just pass. I mean, like that's what gets all twisted and weird. When you have a radical, real relationship with the Lord, you can tell them about, they're going to want to look for a body of believers to grow in man. And I had that so mixed up my whole life. It was all about dragging people into church you know, inviting them and dragging them into church. I didn't know that I could bring the body of Christ to them by just telling them about who Jesus was. And I did tell some of my friends about who Jesus was. I just didn't understand it. I knew that I thought they could only find Jesus sitting in the pew listening to the pastor because I'm just a a person that's just, you know, not in full-time Christian work. So these are twisted views, and and we we have to understand that doing life Taking care of your cows or your cattle or whatever you got going on is not separated from what you have to do. It's all, it should all be Jesus. Even the fear of um, not fulfilling life's responsibilities. One thing that, that's similar to the other one, so I won't expound on that. But the other one is disappointment. And um, I just want to say that there's a verse I want to highlight here really quickly that is, to me, one of the saddest verses um, it didn't mean this person's destruction, but just go to John 20, please, and um, just have a few more minutes here. John chapter 20. Um, I've often found this verse to be just just sad, and yet God um, God will redeem. He will restore with, with repentance. Um, 
This is about Thomas. In verse uh, 24, we'll just start at 24. Um, well, no, no, let's start at 25. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he, Thomas, said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side. Whoo, four words. I hope we will never, ever find ourselves saying, I will never believe. Ouch, ouch. That's what... That's what an unmet expectation manufactured in your own mind does to a heart. They had just come from a devastating blow, not understanding that the Messiah they knew was the Messiah had been brutally killed. And I can only imagine the blow to their expectation. You know, they... There were just things that were lost on them, even when Jesus tried to tell them the Son of Man must die. And he, he spelled it out a couple of times, but even Scripture says that they couldn't contain it. It was, it was lost on them. It was not, they were not able to absorb it. He needed their faith. He needed their faith to see, to see that no matter what you see circumstantially, what you are walking in now is the truth. I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. And what he was trying to get them to see is even if man tries to kill me, I am the life. What, what God does, no man can destroy. But this, this, this unmet expectation, because it wasn't looking the way that they imagined, you know? So Thomas is, is here and he's just like, okay, my head is messed with in a big way. And you know what? I was already struggling. I'm not going to believe unless I, da, 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 you know, these list of things. Jesus in his kindness, you know, we do know that Thomas, while he was, he has the little nickname Doubting Thomas, he's sadly known for that. You know, he was martyred. He was, he was restored to the Lord and was, he did die for his faith. But the thing that's really key here at this particular season that does have to do with that other parable is in verse 27, of course, you know, Jesus did come and stand among them and said, peace be with you. And he immediately addresses Thomas because he knew what Thomas was dealing with. And he is now, of course, you know, has been risen and his glorified body was also a human body in this moment. And that's all mind blowing. That's another whole subject. Wow. Okay. Put your finger here and see my hands, verse 27, and do not put your hand and excuse me and put your out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. So Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God, verse 29. And Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Do you know what that verse, we know what he's saying there? He's saying, blessed are those who have not seen, but believe. Meaning, if you need to see to believe, you will lose blessing. There is a blessing. There is a place of, there is something you will receive by just being willing to just, to just have that faith. To say, yes, Lord, it'll be me. If you're, if you're looking for faith on the earth, I'm going to believe. 
I'm not going to say, unless you show me, if I don't see that, Lord, I am not, you know, if you don't show me this, this, and this, this about this virus, I will never believe. Never, ever give God an ultimatum on your faith. He's just looking for faith. He is going to reward faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. And empty words of statements of faith are also dead because faith without works, without the manifest walking in it, is dead. And so lastly, I want to take you to um, the last scripture that I just find. We will not have time in any way, shape, or form, but I just find it so interesting. Hebrews 11. Go to Hebrews 11. Um, this, of course, is the Hall of Faith. And um, if you if you actually read this through the lens of um, excuses... And look at just that word as it pertains to these these things. So I'm, I'm going to very quickly go through them, through it. Uh, now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. That's a whole verse we could spend hours and hours on. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen is was not made out of the things that are visible. Okay, again, don't forget the reality, the things that we touch and see and feel, they are mere moving shadows to the kingdom reality where God is constantly trying to get us to see that, to open up to that. By faith, Abel, now these are the examples that he gives. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting, commended, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found, because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. Look at each of these people and think, because you guys know these stories. Think of it through the lens of Abel's excuses. See, it was them, it was their having no excuses that got them into the hall of faith. Don't you want that to be said of your life that you were able that you if scripture wasn't finished and you could be in there you would be found in this chapter it would be amazing verse 6 we just stated without faith is impossible to please him let's go to verse 7 by faith noah being warned by god concerning the events as yet unseen talk about excuses lord are you kidding me i don't even know what you're talking about rain i don't even know that there was no such thing as rain Yet unseen in reverent fear constructed an ark. And how he did that is another whole step of faith. Because like seriously, there weren't, there wasn't a whole lot of people that I'm sure really got it. We don't even know. For the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteous, the righteousness that comes by faith. And by the way, your faith will just simply because you believe will condemn others. You don't have to intentionally condemning it you won't condemn them they will just be offended flat out in the spirit when you're around people that do not want to choose the lord just simply your radical place of faith will really rub them the wrong way and you've got to understand and you've got to be resolved in enough faith to see that when you're around other people's excuses don't let the pain of others excuses become your excuse to stop believing because that's a real thing When you begin to see people you love that are just not able to hang on, they're not willing. It's like, man, I went through this door. I went through this door. I went through this door. 
I am weary. I am lonely. When am I going to get this? When am I going to get mine? Lord, I'm believing you for it. And they can't cross through that next door, that next threshold. And they're making some excuses. Don't let the pain of observing that, that breaks your heart when you pray, God, break my heart for what breaks yours. Don't let that become your excuse to no longer believe. Because your radical faith, you will see things that I didn't think that, that my loving you so much, God, would do this to this person. I didn't think that wanting you more than, can't, can't they see? I just want you. I just want you with every part of my being. How in the world can that be offensive to somebody else? How is it that when I'm sold out and that's all I want, I just want you, Lord. I just want you. Have you ever just cried that out before the Lord? How in the world can these people be condemning? Can they be praying for my heresy when I just want you and I trust you and I'm going to believe you for everything in me? That's what we have to do. And it does. It breaks our heart when people see that as something crazy. you got to be willing to be crazy. you got to be willing to be nuts, to be exposed, to be radical. It doesn't always look like it's in a nice little box. It looks like all of me belongs to, to you because you deserve it. All of me. And if I'm exposed, if I'm emotional, if I'm not able to stay composed, because that was my excuse for a long time, Lord, you won't bring down these walls because you, you, you know that being undignified will, will make me feel uncomfortable. I had to give that over. That's an excuse. Don't, don't let anything hold you back. God is looking for a vessel through which he can flow in his power. And if it doesn't fit into your box, then surrender your box. But just stay focused on him. When I see this chapter, and I want you to read it through. We won't read it through. I do believe the Lord wants me to close. When you see this chapter, look at the excuses they didn't make. They didn't make. Sarah and Abraham being too old for children. People being lonely. Joseph believing. Believing in the dreams when everything was great. And his brothers were maybe for a time tolerant with him and that he thought was nice. His life only went to levels of hell, but the promise didn't change. It was real. It was always, always going to be what the Lord said. Like Mary said, she didn't understand it, but her reaction was, be it unto me according to thy word, not according to my circumstances, because I don't even know what you're talking about right now, that I'm going to have a baby when I've never known a man. These are things that the Lord needs us to just be ready. He wants us so desperately to taste of his banquet and lay down excuses. And perhaps I'm, perhaps you're thinking, why? Why does the Lord want us to hear this? We've done it. I don't know. I just know that if there's any area left, give it over to him. But I also know he wants to encourage you, to encourage you to know that when you see others who will not choose it, to just stand resolute and to stand firm and to love them let your radical place of faith be what shows them who God is because this, it will be surprising to you what will try to come against your faith. And the Lord is, uh, he's going to be doing some amazing things. And I don't know about you, but I want to taste, I want a taste of his banquet. And, uh, honestly, I, I just want to, I just want to have more of him. I just want more of him. And, um, Let's just pray. Father God, I just love you, Lord. I just love you, Lord. I just thank you, God. I just thank you, Lord, for who you are. You are so worthy. Oh, God, reveal any excuses, things we don't even think, things that we just 
that we are actually justifying in our lives that, that maybe we're creating a whole doctrine and a whole theology around why we won't go this direction or that direction. Oh, but God, help us to be willing to believe. God, I pray for the faith that comes even before the understanding, the willingness to just say, God, I do not have a clue what you're saying. But if I know that it's you and I know your voice, I believe it, and I believe that you will show it to me. You will prove yourself. Oh, God, help us to be there. Don't let us be doubting Thomases that say, no, God, unless you show it to me, unless you give me a five-point outline in your written word and I can understand it and grasp it in my mind, I will never believe. Oh, God, rip that excuse out of us, God. You're looking for people to trust you like a child. You said you want us to come to you like little children. We don't have the answers, but we have a God that has all the answers. You are doing a new thing, God. Thank you. Thank you, God. Thank you that we can trust you, that you are about to pour out something that's never yet been seen by man. How could we possibly understand a gridless future before us? There is no context in the past for what you're about to do. Just that we believe. So, God, I know the invitation to your banquet is being extended to your bride especially. So, God, I pray that you'd open up the eyes of your bride. I don't know your timing on things, God, but I know there's some heavy words coming. And I just pray, God, that whoever you lead to listen to this word today, God, would examine and allow, allow you to purify each and every one of their lives, God that we might just stand firm in who you are, in your word, in your love, and in the, in the invitation of, of this deeper, deeper place of abiding, talking with you, knowing who you are more, and then finding out who we are because you created us for a purpose. So, God, I just praise you. I thank you, God. I just thank you. I just worship you. Thank you for Christmas celebrating the beginning of when you became the answer, the hope, the help, and the payment for our sin that we could not make ourselves. I love you and I praise you. And I lift up the name of Jesus. Amen.